this is uh, Will Procasio. Hi, this is Brian Ezraeli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Mojo Nicolidis. And Christina Lear. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Doug Lewin. Hi, this is Kevin Van Hooken. You're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Book Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe comic podcast episode number 28 i'm your host dustin and as always we have with us it's apple you got josh and we are bringing you the latest comic news book news and comic reviews from not only the past two weeks but the past four weeks since we had a little mishap with the last podcast and we are bringing you the last month's worth of stuff related to the batman comics we got to practice for october Yep. <laughs> October, I know, right? So, without further ado, let's get right into comic news. First thing we have is on Monday, August 24th, Newsrama posted some Dan DiDio 20 questions, and there was only really one question that was Batman related, but it did have to do with the return of Batman beyond Terry McGinnis. The question was asked, you said Terry McGinnis will be back in the DCU, will he have his own miniseries? The answer from Dan DiDio was, there will be a Terry McGinnis miniseries early next year. We've heard the fans, we've heard everyone's interest, and right now we're planning to put out a Batman Beyond miniseries in 2010. So, what does that mean, other than Terry McGinnis is returning? Um, it means Dan DiDio is a liar. <laughs> That's news? How, how many months for... did Dan DiDio sit there and say, Terry McGinnis will not be in the comics, Terry McGinnis does not exist in this continuity? I remember discussing it on the podcast a while ago when he was like, well, that would box in Batman's future. Yeah. And that and, and, really wasn't and, that long ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was like, okay, and then we find out that they're going to possibly do a, a, a... What did they say? Was it a 10 or 12 series run? Uh, I think they said... Well, I don't think they said anything as far as yet. I know the next bit of news says exactly how many issues it will be, but... Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. So now we're going to count the Terry McGinnis as continuity? No, it's probably going to be an Elseworlds, or excuse me, Tales from the Multiverse, because we're not allowed to call it Elseworlds anymore. It'll probably take yeah. place on Earth 39 or whatever. It probably yeah, will, because I could see that happening. Yeah, because I, I still don't know how I feel about the whole Terry McGinnis thing, so... There's a lot of people who have a strong emotional attachment to him, so... They do, it'll make, they do. It'll make, it'll make those fans happy. I've been wondering when you were going to show up. Terry McGinnis. Or do you prefer being called Batman? We move into uh, the Fan Expo. Uh, this news came to us on August 31st. Uh, that weekend, DC headed up to Canada for Toronto's Fan Expo. There they held a DC Nation panel to let fans know about anything coming up in the DC Universe. Some of the key highlights as far as um, what's going on in the Batman books, they confirmed that the Batman Beyond series will in fact be a six-issue miniseries. 
The skull of Bruce Wayne being the focal point for the Black Rings, as well as the mystery of Bruce Wayne's death, will play out in Blackest Night and Batman Robin. The color core in Batman Robin is brand new, though many feel like they are tied to the DC Universe. It is something that Grant Morrison has created. Oracle will play a key role in Batgirl and will be setting up shop in the Batcave. And Cassandra Cain will have a prominent role in the Batgirl series. So, what do we think about these little snippets? Well, they've been promising a prominent role for Cassandra Cain for some time now. And in fact, if I recall, her miniseries was supposed to relaunch her new adventures in the Batman universe. And her new adventures consisted of saying, Here, Stephanie, take my costume. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's pretty funny. So I think it's another case of uh, liars at these. I hope that the plans for Cassandra are good, though, because while I am a Cassandra fan, I'm not as big of a Cassandra fan as lots of other people. There's diehard Cassandra fans who are still mad about her becoming a villain and that are mad about her giving up her role. And DC's just been screwing with those fans for years. They got to throw them a bone already. Yeah. And I know it's been discussed, I don't know when exactly, it was recently, it might have been in another Dan DiDio questions, but I know that they said something about uh, Cassandra Kane is going to play a very big role in early 2010, and I'm just thinking, okay, so what does that mean for what's going on in Batgirl? Because it might not actually make a difference. Even when she was Batgirl, she was kind of the black sheep of the Batman family, you notice she was one of the only members of the Batman family who was left out of crossovers like Hush. So the Batgirl fans are still not happy about that. Yeah. A cave? Really milking this whole creature of a night theme, huh? Bruce Wayne. Knew it. All right, so moving along, on Friday, September 11th, it was announced from the source that there will be, in fact, a new artist joining Grant Morrison after Philip Tan. For some reason, uh, we were all under the assumption that it was Fraser Irving, and I don't know what happened with that. I, I, don't, I don't even want to speculate about it this second, but uh, the artist that's going to be coming on board is Cameron Stewart, who you may have known from his work on Catwoman from a couple years back. Um, They also posted up a cover, and it looks like Batman is going to be headed to the good old Great Britain. Londonium. Yeah, he's going to go visit me. (laughs) So it looks like Squire's going to play a pretty prominent role in that uh, three-arc, or that three-story arc. Uh, So, kind of interested in what happened to Fraser Irving. I saw a bunch of comments when that art was posted, and they say, why does Damien look like a girl? And someone finally <laughs> told them, that's not Damien, that's Squire. Squire. <laughs> and then somebody's like, oh my god, maybe Damien's going to get killed off, and Squire will be the new Robin. Fraser Irving, basically, it was uh, Cameron Stewart did a couple interviews and 
I'm not really going to go into the details of the different interviews because there's a lot of the same things on the different sources like IGN and comic book resources, but he, it basically around the time of Comic-Con in San Diego, DC called him up and said, hey, do you want to do it? And they, he said, yeah, sure. So that's how he came to do it. So interesting. I'm not kind of, I'm, I'm still wondering what happened to Fraser Irving, and I'm sure that'll come up at some point in one of the interviews we do in the future. But moving along, um, also on September 11th, Mike Seglane, one of the bad editors, posted up a bunch of news about some things coming up due to the Halloween season. Um, they showed the cover to Outsiders number 25, which look, looks like the Black Lanterns are going to be making their way into that series. Um, they showed some pages from the new series, Batman Unseen, where there's a guy who looks like he's the Invisible Man, and he's just slowly becoming the Invisible Man. Um, they also showed a cover to a hardcover called Arkham Asylum Madness. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because some people have speculated that the cover is actually Joker. And I'm not super convinced that it's Joker. Just because the guy has green hair and white skin doesn't mean it's necessarily the Joker. Yeah, like, I, I wanted to see, okay, now you know me, everyone knows I'm like in the wait and see approach, so I'm waiting to see how this is going to pan out, so I'm not one of those that quick judge whenever I just see something that looks similar and say, oh, okay, it's the Joker, no, I'm not like that. Really, because I thought if it was the, if it seemed to be the Joker, you would just be like, "Oh, it's the Joker." <laughs> I wait to see Mr. J up. Apple's going to so. like buy the poster, the coffee mug, and the T-shirt, and then find out that it isn't the Joker and that his money's been tainted. I know, and then and then I'll be mad at Dandy Dio. Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Who is it nowadays? But the anyway, the big thing is, I'm kind of interested because there, other than. It's saying this is a new hardcover, and the title is Arkham Asylum Madness. It doesn't say whether it's an actual graphic novel, whether it's going to be a series. It's going to collect a bunch of different stories that involved Arkham Asylum. So I'm really kind of curious of what uh, this is. So we'll have to wait and see and see what happens with that. The name Amadeus Arkham will become legendary. September 1920. A radical step must be taken to combat Gotham City's diseased. Alright, so moving along, the next thing we've got is also uh, September 14th, we have some more Dan Didio 20 questions. Um, this time there's actually a bunch of things going on uh, that he talks about, and we're going to cover all of them. Josh will read the questions posted by Newsrama and the writers who wrote in to Newsrama, and I will read for Dan DiDio. So prepare for some funny laughs. Okay, one of the uh, fan-submitted questions came from Dark Knight Eleven, who asked, What's going on with Neil Adams' Batman project that he posted on his website? Well, since it's never been officially announced, I can't really say if, it's, if anything's going on with it. Well, it's on his website. And if I had 80 pages of it in my drawer right now, I still wouldn't be able to talk about it. Pink Peril asked, Barbara Gordon hasn't got the best track record for mentoring young heroines. Cassie, Misfit, and now Stephanie. Will there be any mention of that? Also, where is Misfit? Misfit will be seen in the new Batgirl series down the road, if, if I'm not mistaken. 
that was one of the discussion we heard in the long-term story plans. As for Barbara's mentoring, I think that's going to be the crew of what goes on in the early stages in the Batgirl series, as Stephanie takes over the mantle of Batgirl. There are always several people asking about the Birds of Prey characters, but it sounds like we've got more than one showing up in Batgirl. Yeah, we're actually going to see them in different places. Black Canary is very involved with what's going on in Green Arrow Black Canary, naturally, and she'll be involved in what's taking place in Justice League of America. Barbara Gordon is front front and center in Batgirl. She's the main player in that book. As for other characters, if there's interest in certain characters, we'll find the right place to do it. But we also want to make sure we have the people with the best sensibilities to tell the stories for with those characters. And we want to make sure... We put those characters in the best situations for them. It's about not rushing and putting them in something just because everyone wants to know where they are, but making sure we have a real good platform and story before we put them out there. Liar! Kent Clark wrote, are Michael Green and Mike Johnson off Superman Batman for good? Do either of them have any future projects with DC? And what is the future of the Superman Batman series? Will it continue the function out of continuity? Will it be brought into the fold now that Blackest Night is crossing over? We have a Blackest Night crossing over taking place, and we've changed teams on the book. Right now, we're putting together other projects for those two as well, because we'd like to have them still involved in the DC Universe for sure. But our plans for Superman Batman are interesting. Over the next few months, you're going to see Superman Batman actually reflecting major events of the past of the DC Universe. We're going to be building on other stories other events and using these characters. So you're going to see an expansion on Superman Batman's role in in the post-Emperor Joker's world, so you're going to see the effects of Emperor Joker in Superman Batman, as well as our worlds at war. There are going to be events that we're going to be filling out there, so for folks who had fun and enjoyed these big events of the past, we're going to revisit them in Superman Batman and expand on the stories of those. And those stories will fit within continuity even more tightly now because they're written with the current DC Universe in mind. Do the stories take place in the past? They take place in the past in the time period where those events are taking place. But they may tie into what's going on currently. Exactly. Any idea of the creative teams? Absolutely. I have plenty of ideas for creative teams. Any you can share? None whatsoever. Not at this moment. I'd like us to get through Blackest Night, and you'll be hearing about this relatively soon, but not at this moment. And this visiting past events, is this a long-term thing? Right now, we have a year's worth of stories figured out for it. I would consider that a long-term plan, and if it succeeds, we'll continue in this fashion. We have a lot of events in the DC Universe that these two characters participated in, so in that case, I want to make sure we expand on those concepts as much as possible. So, what can we expect to see with Superman Batman completely turn around from what we've been seeing? I might actually be reading the book a little bit more often. Yeah, I I, I mean, we as DC fans, we love those events. I mean, whether they were good or bad, I mean, we always remember them. Oh, this happened here, this happened here. Well, you know, it'll be nice to go back and, I guess, get another side view of it. You know what I mean? So... Uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, it's going to bring up some more sales, definitely, for the book. If you're going to go back and visit, you know, uh, the the Final Crisis, like, uh, not Final Crisis, but um, uh, 
Infinite uh, Crisis. Infinite Crisis, and you're going back in, in into that, that time. Oh my God, that was such a great time in comics. So, I mean, you're going to re- bring us back to that period? I'd rather enjoy it. I find it very amusing that Dan Didio did a whole speech about how this was going to take place in the past, how they were going to revisit past events, how you were going to be going back in time, and Newsarama asked, so is this going to take place in the past? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, great, great, uh, pr- uh, great skills by uh, Newsarama. Journalism at its finest, but I'm agreeing with Dustin and Apple. Um, Superman, Batman, in my opinion, hasn't been a solid book in a long time, and hopefully this will go a long way of making it one. I mean, right now it's just kind of the uh, book that they throw, whoever has a story that they want to tell, whatever artist rotating. And while that's a good concept, I think now it's almost hurting the book. It's just not taken seriously anymore. Agreed. I agree. I mean, uh, now the, my question is like, okay, if they're going to go back into the past, are they going to jump from events to events? Because some of the stories that were happening within Superman and Batman in the seventies and World's Finest were pretty awesome too. So, you know, I I'd imagine they do some minor stories as well, like not just Zero Hour and the Crisis stuff, like maybe you know well, what they, happened. They threw out Emperor Emperor Joker out there. I mean, that's not a huge event. Right, but it's something like I think they probably would like to have in, revisit and maybe build upon that lore of that story. You know what I mean? Which I'm kind of seeing for the 70s storylines, you know? Some of those were really good, and to build those back up and remind people, hey, these, these stories were in the 70s, and to bring them back? I mean, right. that that's cool, if it's done right. If it's right. done right. And I think what's really cool about it is the fact that they will have the opportunity to make some changes to the story or answer some questions that never got answered. Uh, when the story originally came out, uh, they'll be able to expand on certain parts of it, and because of that, they'll be able to change, uh, essentially change the event in a way where it can answer some questions or make more sense to people or just give more details. So I think that's kind of cool. That's a great point. That is a great point. There was a miniseries that was like that um, years ago where it had Batman and Superman interacting. Like they had uh, Superman after he came back from the dead interacting with Paul Valley Batman. Um, they had Batman and Superman talking about uh, what happened in the dark days of the 80s when Superman killed the three Kryptonian criminals right after oh, he. he and then, like Batman's like, oh, so did you do that before or after? You told me not to murder the Joker for killing Jason. He's like, uh, before. Like, <laughs> son of a that's when it didn't count that's when it didn't count <laughs> but that was great it went over those like past events and content and like Todd like yeah you know I wonder what Superman's reaction was to the Azrael Batman and stuff like that so it was pretty cool and you know what the, the point that Dustin brought up about visiting the people that you know made it have questions or we even had questions about I think that was actually a perfect point Dust. I mean and if they didn't know it by now and if they're listening to the podcast I think they pretty much got it now hey let's go answer those questions <laughs> exactly I mean it's it, I mean it's a way where I know there's there, it doesn't matter what event there is there's always questions that are unanswered at the end of the event and they're either explaining them like currently now, uh, present time, they'll explain them at uh, the Comic-Cons, but if there's no Comic-Cons 
because, well, Comic-Cons obviously weren't as popular back in the 80s and the 90s when some of these events occurred, so where did the questions get answered? Uh, not very many questions did get answered, so that's why I think it's a real cool thing to have this opportunity to possibly answer some of the questions for those events, because how often does somebody stand up at a Batman panel at, at San Diego and say, so, back in 1992... When Nightfall was going on, um, why did this happen? You think anybody on that panel is going to have the answer? No. Nope. They, they look at you and they're like, well, that's glad that you caught that. That's awesome. Read the that's, trade paperback. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't have an answer for that. So. Yeah, which and, and it could come back and backfire for, of course, fans that are like Josh, that love the strict continuity of the way the comics are. And they might go back and just mess something up. And then, you know, there goes Josh fuming. Oh, yeah, I'll be doing that, I'm sure. Or it'll be the opposite effect. It'll actually solve Josh's uh, uh, complaint. He gets sleep at night. (laughs) Josh will be able to sleep. (laughs) I swear, if they they have Batgirl and Catwoman me for the first time again, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) I can't believe you peeked under your mask. That is so not cool. It's Superman's way of saying he knows how to find me if he wants to. I'd like to even that playing field. All right, so moving on, the only other thing we've got is on September 18th, there was a new... uh, Jim Lee posted something on his Twitter page. Basically, it's a cover to a new issue of All-Star Batman. No word on which cover or which issue number or anything like that, but he posted the picture, and we've got it posted up on the site, so definitely check that out because we, as we know, based on the information that we exclusively got from Jim Lee at San Diego. All-Star Batman's not dead. It will be back. So make sure you check out the site. Also, with all the comic news, there's all kinds of previews and uh, art that we post. Obviously, it's not worth talking about here on the podcast because either one, the issues have already been released, and two, it's a visual thing, not an audio thing, so it doesn't really work. Right. Alright, so let's move into book news. We've got a couple things coming out in the next couple weeks. The very first thing we have is Batman the Black Glove. Now this is the story, or the solicitation for this one reads, The Watchmen of Silly Silver Age Batman Stories from IGN. Writer Grant Morrison brings Batman and a group of global heroes to a mysterious island to face a killer in this volume collecting Batman 667 through 669 and 672 through 675, now available in trade paperback. Plus, Batman relives a defining adventure in the life of young Bruce Wayne, the hunt for his parents' killer. This will be 176 pages and be 1799. Are you going to be picking that up, Dust? I do not pick up trade paperbacks. <laughs> I was gonna say I I, I I have a bad habit. Even though I buy the comics, I still have to buy the trade paperbacks for the ones I like. And this series, I mean, man, it's, it was like over a year ago, right? When we were reviewing it, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, kind of does. <laughs> so uh, seventeen ninety nine is not a bad price point, but eh, I'm still kind of iffy on that. That. The, I guess the level of story on that, so uh, as far as quality, so eh, I'm gonna make motion on that one to buy it or not. 
I think it's a little pretentious to uh, now. I don't know how you guys all feel about Watchmen. Some people love it, some people hate it. But really, you're going to compare yourselves to Watchmen in a solicitation? Really? No. Watchmen was great. <laughs> That's not. This is far from that. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I liked it too. But I'm thinking it's you know that would be like if I put out a book and I and I put like you know the Shakespeare of our time, you know, on the advertisements. <laughs> yeah. All right, so also coming out on September 30th, we have Superman Batman Volume 1, Public Enemies, New Edition. The solicitation reads, DC Comics is pleased to offer a special new edition of the classic tree paperback collecting Superman Batman number 1 through 6 to coincide with the fall 2009 Warner Home Video direct-to-DVD DC Universe animated original movie featuring the same logo as the movie packaging. A tale of loyalty and unlikely friendship featuring two of the most recognizable and popular superheroes on the planet, Superman and Batman Public Enemies, pairs the Man of Steel with the Dark Knight. The iconic superheroes unite and longtime Superman enemy Lex Luthor, now President of the United States, accuses Superman of a crime against humanity and assembles a top-secret team of powerhouse heroes to bring Superman in, dead or alive. But after the Dark Knight detective proves Luther's accusations to be baseless, the world's finest duo prepares to topple the corrupt president's reign once and for all. This book also includes a two-page story by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, as well as a cover and sketchbook section by Ed McGuinness. This will be 160 pages, be $14.99. $14.99? Are they going to put a different cover from the last trade paperback? Well, it said that they're doing the logo like from the DVD box. Eh, I say if you can find the old trade paperback, get that one. Because not only did it have the logo, but it had Emma Guinness's Batman and Superman at the both bottom and top of that. So if it's just going to come with the logo, eh, I'd rather still get the old one. It'll have, it's basically the cover of the, the DVD will be the same as the cover for the new paperback, new trade paperback. Yeah, I'm guessing that the two-page story is the same two-page story that it had in the original trade paperback, where it's little Batman and little Superman thinking the opposite of each other. <laughs> yeah. Which, which back then it was, you know, that was good writing. But like as Superman, Batman dragged on, it got old. Yeah, I like my yeah. pizza hot. I like my pizza cold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm a, I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. Alright, so anyway, so the only other book we've got is on October 7th, we have Batman the Kill- Killing Joke, the new printing, um, also known as Batman the Killing Joke, one millionth edition. Um, <laughs> solicitation reads, don't miss this, new printing of the timeless prestige format special by Alan Moore and Brian Bowling, created especially for DC Direct's Batman the Killing Joke action figure set. It features the coloring from the original printing and is available only while supplies last. 48 pages... And it'll be five ninety nine. I don't know how many times they could re-release this book. Not a bad book, but seriously, they re-released this. This is like what, like the tenth reprinting or something like that. Oh I my god! I think it's. I think it's honestly on like twelve or thirteen. You know what? I think you're right. I think it's around twelve or thirteen. Oh my god, man! And ah, uh, and man, it was a great story, man. Let people find it. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Hey guys, guess what? Babs is still crippled. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that right there is going to move us into our comic reviews for this episode. Now we've got all kinds to cover, like 
lots to cover, so we're going to try to keep these as short as possible, but still give you the bulk of the information that was handed out in the book. So we're going to start out with Batman the Widening Gear number one. Okay, guys. So Batman the Widening Gear. So it hasn't been that long since Kevin Smith was fresh from uh, penning uh, Cacophony. And it was it was a pretty good story. I liked it. I liked it. And then, of course, we got Walter Flanagan back. So they're rejoining up for uh, Batman the Winding Gear. Uh, within this issue, we see, of course, a uh, liminal remnants of the good old days of Batman and Robin. And they're uh, fighting Baron Ben Blitzberg. And so it gives you like a little flashback of that time. And, of course, the uh, original Dick Grayson Robin. And uh, it then goes back to then, and then it fast forwards to them now, where, of course, where Batman's kind of, you know, getting a call from uh, Nightwing, and Nightwing calls him in for, you know, for support, and Batman's like, uh, you know, why, why are you calling me in, you know, if it's just, you know, if you can handle these, any type thugs, and then uh Byron and Blitzberg pops out and another guy took the suit and he was like, well, you know, sentimental thing. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, my God, because <laughs> Dick just found it where it was funny. And Batman is just like, oh, boy, you could have just handled this yourself. <laughs> so it hops into that. But, of course, um, uh, Kevin Smith, go ahead and writes in. He has a way of bringing in his villains and of course we see him bringing in uh, a clue for of course poison ivy what leads batman going going back to arkham asylum and so we have him going rushing back to arkham asylum and then we see arkham asylum being taken over of course poison ivy style and he's he's going through he sees the other villains that were are in there of course you know you have your two phase and you have your scarecrow in there and of course he runs across joker and of course he has his little course he has to interact with joker and joker lets him know you know hey you know it's ivy you know she's just gone she's just gone crazy so batman then gets to her sees where she's at and asks why she's doing this and then always all of a sudden we see killer croc come out and uh killer croc's already attacking batman of course being controlled by poison ivy and Batman comes over, and then Batman, of course, is really um, kind of, uh, you could say, tied up with Ivy. And then we see the demon come out, Demon Etrigan. And so as he comes out, uh, they're looking like, oh, my God. And, of course, we see Demon, you know, kind of looking very violent in, in this issue. And so he's, like, biting, like, a, a, a one of the... Uh, one of the 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 inmates really biting their body, so kind of graphic. So not for kids really, but uh, we see him going going uh, against Batman. Of course, Batman man he takes a beating in his book, and then we see a uh, a new character introduce save Batman's life, and as he goes through, he's wanting to know who's this new player, and of course. That's where it leads us off, and we have to find out in the next issue. And that's it for issue one of Batman the Warning Gear. What crime? Why, murder, of course. Plowing up a field of beautiful wildflowers for that silly penitentiary of his. This little rose would be extinct today if I hadn't saved my precious from those horrible bulldozers. The blood of those flowers are on his hands. Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman and Robin number three. Now, this is a very simple issue. There's not much to it, so I'm going to go over it pretty briefly. Um, we start off the, the story with actually Batman having the man who 
is basically up in flames, and he's threatening him by holding him over the side of his crazy Batmobile slash ATV slash whatever you want to call monster truck type thing, and saying he's going to drop him while he's driving down the road. He says he'll talk, gives up the location of Pig, and then we cut to Robin, who has been captured by uh the, uh, by pig and his henchmen all with the same faces and he makes and he starts dancing to iPod music uh, sexy disco music as he puts it and he starts dancing taking off his shirt is kind of disturbing in a way um, but he's telling Robin how he's going to you know give him a new face blah 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 and then we get to the part where he's about to put the face on and Robin breaks out of the chair that he's tied to, starts smashing the faces in of all of these henchmen. And then we cut to Batman, who is also taking out a henchman somewhere in the city, who has a bomb strapped to him and finds out there's actually not a bomb strapped to him. Then we cut back to Robin, who's taking out more of the henchmen, who frees Scarlet and is freaking out because she has the mask on her face. Um, she then takes up a... Uh, Bunsen burner that Pig was using and actually burns Pig on fire and puts him on fire. So then what happens is uh, because they're at the carnival, they jump on a ride and Pig is trying to strangle Robin. The ride ends up breaking out into the open and they f Pig and Robin fight back and forth until Batman shows up. Once Batman shows up, then we find out that Pig is out of his mind, and his mask gets broken off his face. They have a nice little fight with a bunch of the henchmen, and then we see that there's another domino with the antidote to this toxin that Pig was going to release into the city. And that's pretty much it. There's a nice little discussion between Batman and Gordon at the very end, and Pig saying he wants to be hit by the he wants to get beaten up just because he's that kind of guy, I guess. And they say, uh, you know, this isn't over. It's This is definitely not over. Then you find out that at the hospital, there's a bunch of these henchmen who are all bloody. So then we find out that Batman and Robin are driving towards a mansion to take out Le Boost because Nightwing is still pissed that he tried to lobotomize him. So they burst in the window, and that's what happens with that. Then we cut back to Alfred looking over some photos at the penthouse, and we see somebody overlooking the penthouse watching him, but we don't see who it is. Then we cut to the hospital where this girl Scarlet is actually killing her father, and she ends up starting, she has, starts to have a fight with, um, the police officers, and suddenly the police officers' heads get shot off, and then we see the new Red Hood, who's telling her to join him. And that is the end of issue number three. All right, now I'm a little worried. All right, and now that is going to take us right into... Batman 690. We're continuing from last issue where the Dick Grayson Batman is having a fight with Clayface and this guy named Lyle Blanco. 
And uh, there is a lot of collateral damage here, explosions everywhere, and Dick, of course, is not feeling too sure of himself. And Clayface gets uh, Dick trapped in his clay, and he's just beating him around. We do get to see uh, Two-Face. He's having a meeting. This is one of the more ridiculous parts of the book. He's meeting with some supernatural people, and he wants to know who can teleport him to the origin of a device that he has, which would be a battering. Now, there's just so many flaws in logic here. I'm not even going to go over all of them now. There's only one a girl who's able to do it, so he, of course, has his henchmen kill the rest of them. We go back to the fight with Batman, Clayface, and Lyle, and once again, more explosions. Dick not being too sure of himself, he is able to take on Lyle in hand-to-hand combat, finally is able to beat him, but unfortunately, Clayface gets away. Batman's about to follow him in the Batmobile, but Alfred says that there's been alarms, and at first, Dick thinks that he's talking about the new Batcave, which is the bunker under Wayne Tower, but he's like, no, we're talking about Wayne Manor, that cave. We also get to see the continuation of the gang war storyline that's been going on, which honestly, it started off interesting. It really isn't interesting to me that much. It's Penguin and his thugs meeting with Black Masks and his glo- and his thugs, and of course, Black Mask pulls a fast one on Penguin and kind of reminds Penguin, you know, if he's thinking of defecting or betraying him or pulling a fast one, uh, Black Mask is in charge and he says, you'll be working for me. Still confused. Well, under Wayne Manor, Dick is looking around, trying to figure out what's going on and why the alarms were breached and how it was breached from the inside. Somebody came in without actually going in, and he sees that the giant penny has been uncovered. So he's staring at it, which he admits is a mistake in his internal monologue after what happens next, because he gets ambushed from behind while he's staring at this giant coin. And he turns around, and somebody says, just two questions for you. Who are you? And where's the real Batman? And it's a picture of Harvey Dent in that Batman costume that was in that I Am Batman teaser image. And he's got a big gun. It's an interesting image, but that's the conclusion of that issue. And I know that everyone's going to be curious to see where this fight's going to end up in 691. So that's going to bring us into Gotham City Sirens number three. Now, this issue can be summed up in a very short amount of time as well because, um, number one, it was a giant surprise for the fact that Paul Dini did not write this issue, even though it was solicited that he was. It was written by Scott Lobdell. I am not familiar with anything else that he's done, and I'm sure I'll be called out if he's done something of importance. But based on what we saw in this book, I assume he doesn't write very much. Um, This book starts off with Riddler uh, saying that he's died, and it's only Edward Nygma is alive now. And he's all about solving crimes. Um, Poison Ivy and Catwoman show up to tell him they need to help. They need his help finding Harley Quinn because she's missing. He tells them to get lost because they were the ones who kidnapped him and... Poisoned him, drugged him, and kept his little apartment. Um, used the, used his apartment as their hideout for a while. He then calls a press conference, who says that there's actually a serial killer in Gotham killing different people. And then all of a sudden, the light gets the light post gets knocked out. Everyone turns to look, and by the time they look back, he's gone. And Batman and him start exchanging some words. They start going over this case with this serial killer, talking about how 
um, this has happened and this happened and we need to figure out why this happened and the reality of it is they are just basically trading back and forth the ideas and realizing that one is just as smart as the other they come to find out that someone else is going to be killed and they need to get to where she's going to be um, so then we get a nice scene of a chick that I don't think she could be wearing any less clothes but she's wearing as little clothes as possible and then we find out they trade some words they keep trading some words and then all of a sudden an explosion goes off right as they're as the girl is trying to convince Riddler that nothing's actually going to happen an explosion goes off and we get introduced to a new character um, the characters are basically it's a girl but she's dressed as she would be like I honestly when I first read it thought she was one of Riddler's henchwomen from years ago, either Echo or Curie, uh, because they, because that's just what it seemed like. But it turns out they're just a bunch of college kids that feel that they're super smart and can be, can hold, they can do more brain-wise than Edward Nigma can. Batman shows up, it ends. That's pretty much the end of the story. The big thing is they just trade some words back and forth about how Batman is, in fact, smarter than Riddler, but Riddler thinks he's smarter than Batman. And that's pretty much it. Hello, Batman. This is it. The end of the game. I'm a little sad, actually. You were a worthy opponent, but then I told you I'd make a killing. All right, and that's going to take us into the fourth issue of Red Robin. Now... Once again, the narrative is jumping all over the place, and instead of me telling you about half of a scene and then half of another scene, I'm going to actually do it in the order that it happened instead of the order that it's presented in the book, this time around just to make it a little less confusing. Now, what's happened in every issue of Red Robin so far that's going to continue this issue? Somebody that Tim Drake knows comes and says to him, Hey Tim, you're being crazy. I'm not being crazy. Bruce is alive. You need help. Go away. We had Spoiler do it. We had Wonder Girl do it. In this issue, Dick Grayson does it. And it pretty much goes the same way as the other things do. Um, he's telling Tim that he needs therapy, that he actually already has a therapist for him in Metropolis, which is kind of funny. And uh, Tim says something to him that I liked. He says, you called us equals, remember? If we really are equals, if we really are brothers, then believe in me. I've earned it. You take care of Gotham. Try not to let Damien destroy everything you and I built as Robin. <laughs> Which is funny. But also, I like that he stood up to Dick. Well, we see him in Baghdad with Ra's al Ghul's men again. Because now he's with Ra's al Ghul and he's traveling. But unfortunately, he's kind of been sloppy. And uh, some government officials are showing up because they want to arrest him as Alvin Drapier for some of the stuff that he did in the previous issues. But one of Roswell Ghoul's men's like, um, can't you guys see this is Tim Drake and he's here on official Wayne Enterprise business? See, here's his ID. And like, oh, okay, I guess you're right. Well, we also cut to Berlin and uh, Lucius Fox's daughter, she's continuing her little mission to find Tim Drake and she's showing the photo around to a hotel clerk. She's like, oh, no one tim drake but that guy that you're showing me that's alvin draper yeah he was here we see tim talking to some of ra's al ghul's men and basically debating why they do what they do yo killing's wrong this and that now they're going to some cave and tim's going in there because he thinks that 
one of the answers, which we still don't know what's going on yet, but it has something to do with what was in that suitcase, is in there. He shines a light, and he sees a bat etching on the cave wall, which we're supposed to believe is the etching that Bruce did in Final Crisis Issue 7. So Tim feels validated. He feels like he was right. But no sooner is he able to celebrate this victory than an assassin called the Widower shows up and is basically making quick work of uh, Ra's al Ghul's men that are with Tim, stabbing them, leaving them for dead, and actually fatally stabbing Tim, it looks like. And when it ends, Tim's collapsing on the ground and Ra's al Ghul's saying, did you find what you were looking for, Timothy? Timothy, over the intercom. So... I guess Tim's going to have to remember that trick that he did uh, when Jason Todd stabbed him in the chest and try and slow down his heartbeat and survive again. But that's the end of Red Robin issue four. Once again, skips all over the place. Hopefully we'll get a better narrative next time around. You could have been my successor, detective. Instead, you will suffer the fate of all mortal flesh. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman and Robin number four. We start off the issue with a character that we've never seen before whose name is lightning bug i don't think it could get on any more or less original i already have a firefly but um he's basically committing a crime and there's a vehicle that pulls up and it's the batmobile he starts to run off and as he's running off he realizes he's not going to be able to get away and jumps into a building he thinks this can be batman robin and then it turns out to be None other than the Red Hood and Scarlet. And they just out and out shoot him and just beat the living heck out of him. And as he's bleeding all over, Scarlet actually twitters and puts up what she's doing. And it talks about how she is killing this guy. Red Hood eventually shoots him. He falls down to the ground. Money's flying all over the place. And as... Batman and Robin are sitting in the Batmobile. They catch a card that says Vengeance Arms against his red right hand. Um, we see Scarlet and Red Hood running off. Then we cut to a scene on top of Wayne Tower where they're having a charity gathering and there's different people talking to different people, but it's basically Dick Grayson's talking to Lucius Fox about some different things going on with Bruce Wayne and how he's been acting very odd. Then uh, Commissioner Gordon introduces Dick Grayson to this new character called um, Oberon Sexton, who's also known as the Gravedigger, which, in my opinion, he would look like a, a villain, or I don't know why someone would call him Gravedigger, and he wears the costume he wears, but he's allowed to go out in public. Um... Then we cut to the Red Hood's hideout, where Scarlet's contemplating trying to figure out a way to get the disgusting face that she has on her face off, and Red Hood convinced her it's not about how you look, trust me, just leave it on, it'll be fine. Um, then we cut back to Batman Robin sitting on top of a building, staking out a what looks to be a... I guess, gang lord meeting or something where there's a bunch of people talking about what needs to happen. Um, with Gotham's Underground, Penguin's there. There's some other people there that look familiar, but there's not many people there that I could name off the top of my head. Looks like Le Boost is there too, but I'm not sure why if he was taken out at the end of the last issue. 
Um, the guy who's running the meeting mentions that there's a guy called the Flamingo who's coming to town because his kill record is impeccable and he's going to make sure that Batman gets taken out once and for all. Um, as this happens, Batman and Robin are wa still watching, about to burst into the room when it turns out Red Hood and Scarlet get in there before, start killing all these guys left and right, and Scarlet pulls in holding the guns as Batman and Robin walk in and they're just completely blown away by the fact that they just beat the living pulp out of Penguin. Penguin's asking for help and Red Hood says to Scarlet, are you getting this? Are you making sure that you're taping Batman protecting a known felon as Penguin from us? And they say, and Batman says, Jason and... They say, let the punishment fit the crime, as they shoot, and they walk, and they leave the building. So it'll be interesting, I mean, everyone's assuming it's Jason Todd, we'll see what happens in the next issue. Batman and Robin. Now we're up to the second issue of Batgirl. The story continues where the last one left off. After a little interlude at the beginning where we see Stephanie fighting some criminals, she's remembering uh, that morning at her house where Barbara Gordon kind of confronted her and said, yeah, what are you doing? And Barbara basically gives her the whole what for, saying you can't wear the mantle, you don't have the right. If you're wearing it, you're just making yourself a target for somebody who wants to prove something. Stephanie, of course, is like, well, how is this any of your business? And Barbara decks a battering into the door that Stephanie's about to open. And she's like, like hell, it isn't my business. But it's clear that they're not going to get anywhere. But Barbara's none too happy about what Stephanie's doing. So we go back to Stephanie's college. She's actually starting to make some new friends. And there's a really... Mean girl, uh, can't say the word that I was originally thinking about saying, and her boyfriend, who looks like he's kind of crushing on Steph, he invites her to a fraternity party that night, it's a Harvest Festival, and someone spiked the punch, I suspect that it might have to do with uh, the villain that shows up at the end of the issue, due to the reaction that uh, the mean girl, who Steph made such good friends with, reacts so Stephanie takes her Batgirl costume, goes somewhere to change, starts fighting some criminals, and all of a sudden she starts hearing Oracle's voice. And then she's like, yeah, I had some tech involved, um, installed into Cassandra's costume. You did wash the suit, didn't you? Otherwise you would have noticed that. She's like, oh yeah, of course I did. So, uh, ew. Well, anyway, she's uh, fighting the criminals, and Barbara's being a little hard on her, and Barbara kind of realizes that she does need Stephanie, she does need her to get the idea out of the drug dealers, but she also wants her out of danger. She calls Alfred, who's in the little outsider spaceship thing over Earth with the outsiders, which is odd because I was told that they weren't using that anymore, but I guess this takes place before that, and it might have to do with the fact that the book was about two months late. And she's having some problems with her computers, and she's asking Alfred if she can use Wayne Manor. And he says, yeah, I believe we've uh, moved the key from under the mat uh, out in the hollow rock out in the garden. So Stephanie and Barbara meet up in the back cave, and Stephanie's admiring the trophy case. And she says, yeah, the only way you're going to get a costume into one of those things is by retiring, being murdered, becoming someone else, or being shot. Well... Which is kind of funny because Stephanie was technically murdered before and she didn't get a memorial case. 
And Barbara's once again giving Stephanie a hard time, saying that one of the drug dealers tweeted uh, that he was had a run-in with someone pretending to be Batgirl, and kind of emphasizes that to Stephanie. Once again, Barbara realizes that she's kind of acting out a little bit. She's just being angry because she's possibly jealous, and her and Stephanie kind of realize it at the same time. But instead of redeeming herself, she just kind of says to Stephanie, look, you need to listen to what I say. Don't get involved or I'm calling your mother, which is a low blow. And then Barbara drives out in, I guess, some sort of special handicapable wheelchair car. At the end of the issue, the cops are ambushed and we're taking the parts of Noom where we find out who is the one who sent those thugs earlier and who spiked the punch at the party. And it's not other than Scarecrow. So Stephanie taking on Scarecrow. That's going to be quite interesting, considering Stephanie's past. That's to be continued. Who are you? I am fear incarnate. I am the terror of Gotham. I am the Scarecrow. Okay. And that's going to lead us into Detective Comics 856 and, as its name, Batwoman in Detective Comics. And we have Greg Rekka go ahead and write in about Batwoman in here. What it starts off where we lead off with the the new crime lord, which is Alice, and very cool character. As a side note, uh, we see her battling Batwoman, which they have given her a toxin. And, of course, the, the truthful ones come in, and they're trying to protect her. Uh, the general takes her back to the jeep to try to detox her in a way, and they find a way to do that. They take her away. But the the point where this uh, the comic book leads to where we get to really see uh, Alice's intentions in the storyline, and she kind of refers to herself as a queen, and being uh, as a queen, she has to be dignified. So she kind of lets them escape with Batwoman. So as they escape, we then see uh, the Colonel interact with. Um, with Kate Gain again, and you see her out of her Batwoman costume. So this is where the the story kind of you know gives it a little, I guess, cool part of the story where we get to see uh, Kate Kane out of the costume and see her as herself. And as she's uh, of course attending the 129th annual Gotham City uh, the Gotham City Police Department charity ball, of course everyone's hey Kate, Kate, oh Kate. And of course, they tell her, oh, okay, you couldn't wear something more appropriate. <laughs> and she shows up to this, uh, the ball wearing a tuxedo. So while she's there, she, she interacts with people. And of course, you know, we get to see her in her own self, in her own skin. And that's very cool about this book. Um, as we continue, she finds out more information. It's really a long dialogue uh, of Kate just being herself, and you get to see that. But then she's led on to some new information. And as this information goes on, she immediately calls a colonel. However, the plot thickens. We then see the colonel, of course, it leads to colonel's men. And as they are down, we then see the colonel, of course, his phone is ringing. Kate is calling him, and she goes, oh, please, don't make such faces, dear. And, of course, the colonel's looking at him. And, of course, the colonel, she goes, Colonel, Dad, listen. And, of course, Alice is at the other end now. And she's right there, and she goes, hush, the game's going on rather better now. And I thought that was really cool. (laughs) And so a pretty pretty short story. Uh, Really liked it. Um... This is uh, the end of Detective Comics 856. 
Could she have been an old opponent in a new disguise? Perhaps Catwoman? No. Even Selina Kyle has more regard for human life. This is someone entirely new, Alfred. The last thing Gotham City needs is a vigilante running amok. As they say on the streets, I ain't touching that one. Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman Streets of Gotham, number four. And obviously Paul Dini was writing this and Dustin Wynn was doing the art. So we first start off with the little scene where Bruce Wayne slash Hush is being told he has some different contributions that he has to give and it's going to be a few hundred thousand compared to billion dollar stimulus payments. And the person who is undercover currently is none other than the Creeper. And they he leads Bruce slash Tommy Elliott into a room full of a bunch of people of religious importance in the community and he gives them their contributions and then we move to we move on we see a boy walking up to a place called the rainbow shelter for children and sees that it's closed and there's a guy who walks up to him and says it's hard for us runaways to find out find a place to have a good meal and a warm place to sleep and then we find out he's actually being kidnapped and put into the van the gentleman who was talking to him calls somebody on the cell phone and says, we've got another one, he's on the way. Then we see uh, Limo pull up and see the Rainbow Shelter uh, is now available and starts recording and we notice that it's actually the broker that we saw in a couple issues earlier. Um, then he starts going into a story about how he found a location for Warren White, also, the great, or also known as the Great White Shark. It's basically a yacht, but he has got him a yacht, and he's going to see him to basically collect his finder's fee, which is in the neighborhood of about $3 million. Warren White tries to say, you know, maybe uh, you don't deserve anything, and then all of a sudden the broker's driver starts picking off Warren White's henchmen this point he says okay no problem he gives him the money and says hey, hey no problem so then we go into a little bit of a history lesson about Gotham City and how of how how and why there are so many different weird named places such as uh, all kinds of amusement type places and exotic places and the reason why there's so many different names. Turns out there was two families. There was the Solomon brothers and then there was Carlo Giraldi. Um, each one of them were bound to make the most and best possible amusement parks and amusement uh, attractions in Gotham City. So for years there was nothing but all these different things like Croc World and um, wax museums and stuff like that, tons of zoos and reptile farms, and that's why there are so many of these places that are now abandoned, because what happened was eventually some of the factories closed, and when they closed, people didn't have the money to go to these amusement places, so they closed. Um, he specifically said in the very beginning there was two types of major industries in Gotham, manufacturing and crime. And when manufacturing closed down, that's when crime skyrocketed. He started picking up a lot of the white elephants, as they as they call them, um, these different properties that nobody else would buy, and starts selling them to some of these 
bizarre criminals that start to make a prominent name for themselves in Gotham City. He takes cash and he is very good at what he does and all the criminals work with him because he doesn't ask questions about what they're doing, just finds them a place, they pay him and that's all that happens. So now he's a lot more successful, he does a lot more. Uh, anyway, he's moving on to a new property, we get back to the future, present time, and we pull up to a place called Farmer Brown Porco, and he pulls in and he's about to work out a business deal with somebody, and we find out it's actually Victor Zaz. Victor Zaz is, wants this slaughterhouse, imagine that, Zaz <laughs> wants a slaughterhouse, and I thought he wanted Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and he wants, and he's talking about how they're going to demolish certain things, and they're going to do this and that, and change different things, and make more holding pens. We see them rolling in holding pens, and there's a child's hand that actually reaches out of the pen and reaches for the broker. And at that point, the broker says he never gets involved, never gets involved, and leaves. Goes back to his house. Batman shows up at the guy's house and Batman says he wants to know exactly where some of the characters or where some of the villains are. He knows that he's given he's outfitted Mad Hatter and Great White Shark with layers, but he's cons he's concentrating on nothing but the real monsters which would be Two-Face, Zaz and Croc. Um, so the broker says, "Why well, can't tell you anything? I can't tell you anything." And Basically, Batman ends up beating him to a pulp. And meanwhile, you see over the narrator, who is the broker, talking about how the only way he can do what he does is by making sure that if he gives somebody up, he gets the crap beat out of him so that nobody, so that people keep doing business with him. And that's the end of the issue. Then we go into the co-feature, which features Jane Doe basically getting locked up in a prison. And the cops are going to start interrogating her. Kate Spencer takes off, goes on patrol with Huntress, and they take out somebody who's robbing this, uh, looks like a florist. And they, well, what ends up happening is in the middle of the fight, Kate Spencer gets a phone call from her son, and she says she can't talk right now, she'll call him later. Then after that, we cut to a press conference where Kate Spencer talks about how Jane Doe attempted to take her life, and she wants to make sure that she's specifically going after Two-Face, and she's confirming, or she's telling everybody, just so you know, Two-Face once was Harvey Dent, but he is no longer Harvey Dent. The man that was Harvey Dent is now dead. It's only Two-Face, and Two-Face will pay for him. Then we cut to Black Mask and Two-Face and somebody else, all watching this press conference, and hearing that Two-Face will have to pay for his crimes. And everyone's saying, this will be interesting. So, that is the end of the co-feature. Thank God. It's Saz. He's got Mike. He's strapped in the chair. Saz has totally lost it. Wait here. You can't. He'll kill Mike if he sees anyone trying to get close. He won't see me. Well, that's going to take us into issue 22 of Outsiders. And we're continuing our little story where we have the Outsiders splitting up. 
to catch the uh, escapees from Arkham Asylum. Last issue, it was Mr. Freeze. This issue, it's Geoforce and Metamorpho going after Clayface. Now, uh, we go to Wyoming, where, as you all know, Clayface is, because from last issue, there was some problem with some miners there. And one miner is having a quiet evening at home with his kids when he gets a knock on his door, and it's Clayface who sucks the dad up into his body, starts to walk away. The kids who have some delusions of grandeur, like throwing baseballs at him, like, you give my daddy back, Clayface. Clayface just jumps into the sewer, and the kids poke their heads down there, so Clayface is like, all right, so Clayface grabs the kids, sucks them down too, leaving the screaming wife and mother unsure of what's happening. Metamorpho and Geoforce are looking at the crime scene, and, you know, the usual small-town southern share, well, we don't usually like outsiders here to handle our small-town problems, but with a guy who's made out of clay, I guess we're gonna have to use your help. So Geoforce is analyzing the clay, trying to figure out what it's made out of, and they he checks in with Black Lightning and Owlman, and they basically give him the rundown of what happened last issue with Mr. Freeze, how he's trying to get the implant out of him. Now, and then also check in with uh, everyone else in Louisiana, which is Creeper, Halo, and Katana, who are still looking for a killer croc. Now, turns out that Clayface is having the same problem that Mr. Freeze is. He wants to get this implant out of him, and for some reason he can't use his clay powers to do it, so he's like, I'll get a miner to do it. You know, because, hey, you know, he's used to digging and finding stuff. So the guy says, well, I'm going to suffocate. He's like, well, just hold your breath. Otherwise, your kids are going to watch you die. Now dive right in. And he starts looking around in there. Now, I'm not sure if this is a little piece of Clayface that got broken off or if Clayface just stopped after it wasn't working and went to a bar. But a piece of Clayface or Clayface himself, Disguise, goes to a bar. It turns out that the bartender is really Geoforce in disguise, and Metamorpho is really everyone in the bar in disguise, and they start fighting with him. Uh, Geoforce kind of lets Clayface get away, and we later find out why. Clayface goes down into the sewer, and now, you know, since the dad wasn't able to get any results, he says, all right, I'm going to have your kids go in there. So, But as he's putting the kids in there... Metamorpho comes out of the body and says, hold tight, boys. It turns out that Metamorpho, since he could change the elements and that he is, absorbed himself into Clayface to hide in there. So he saves the dad and the kids. Geoforce followed him down there, says, Clayface, meet Methane. And yes, Methane meets Sparks. So the whole mine basically explodes as uh, Geoforce uses his rock powers to kind of get them out of there before the whole thing collapses on them. But Clayface is still down there, takes the kids and the dad home to the family. The wife thanks him, and they're wondering how the other outsiders are doing. And we see the last page, which is Creeper, Katana, and Halo, still in Louisiana, and they don't realize that Man-Bat is behind them. And as we all know, there's been some interesting things going on with Man-Bat. Um, if you read that one shot earlier this year, which actually had the Outsiders in it. So, looks like those threads are going to be followed up in the next issue of Outsiders. I've acquired the Matt Hagen films you requested, sir. Good. Because now I'm sure that that thing I fought at the hospital is Hagen. His condition is apparently the tragic result of an experiment conducted by Roland Daggett. Hagen apparently transforms unconsciously sometimes, like a reflex action. Cool. And of course, uh, we saved the best for last. <laughs> that's only opinion. No, that's going to take us into Batman Confidential Issue 33. And we're Liar! last. Of- 
<laughs> when we last left Batman, <laughs> he was surrounded by a, it looked like a police force, a military force. And of course, Batman, are always being the ever detective, was not fooled. This was uh, a hologram. And it was actually a hologram created by a very creative guy that lives in the sewers, and his name is Pietier. And, of course, you know, he's always used to, you know, kind of like the smoke and mirrors type Batman describes to him. And as uh, he's responding and Batman is just walking away, uh, he just asks, you know, if um, if the Dukes of Hazards are still like the nation's favorite television show. And kind of lets you know how long he's been in that store and he hasn't come up from it. And he really doesn't want to come up because he's he says, well, you know, Moscow is kind of dangerous. And he doesn't want to go to the surface. So as he goes, um, Batman then goes to the top. And, of course, there's just a couple of thugs there. Uh, well, it looks like a couple of kiddos. Could be thugs. And they describe Batman as kind of like being a vampire. But they're not really scared of him. So Batman moves on. But then we get to see the beast. And we also get to see his face and the way he's looked. And the thing is that Zars is there whipping him. So in a way, you kind of feel bad for the beast. And the beast tells him, please stop whipping me. Stop hitting me. And then it gets to the point where the beast takes away the rope. And you kind of start feeling bad for him. And he's just like right there, you know, and he's saying, I'm sorry, master. You see Batman interrogating a couple of guys, you know, the old Batman way. And he has them dipping into water, trying to get his answers. So uh, he does it his way. He goes on and then we see Zars, of course, doing his up to the minute, I guess, planning, you could kind of say. And so as Batman heads down, going back to his roof. Now, remember, Batman's in, he is in a, in a different kind of character here. Uh, he's going undercover. So as he enters his room, of course, we see uh, Colonel General Lukskov in his room already discovered that, hey, the new guy from America... Yeah, he that guy's Batman. So he figured it out very quick, which is very odd. And as he figures it out, Batman, of course, then goes off. He has to fight um, General Lukov's men. And, of course, Batman's taking them out one-on-one. And Lukov just looks at Batman. And he's just like, okay, I'm aiming right for your face. <laughs> and, and he's just like, you know, the, you know, the last time I shot a man, he gave me nightmares. And he's like, please don't give me nightmares. So as Batman and him discuss, of course, Batman's looking for some kind of, I guess, ally help, I guess, in, in a country he's really not familiar with. And he's finding little to no help there. And so we pan out. We see Lukov go to his house and, of course, interacting with his wife. As he's interacting with his wife, she's like, have you been drinking, uh, Nikolai? And, of course, he's like, eh, you know, I really don't want to hear it. <laughs> and so uh, he then leaves. He gives her He gives her a little kiss and he goes... Uh, you know, I'm going to go out. I'll, I'll sleep in the spare bedroom when I get back. And then, uh, of course, he tells them to say goodnight to his daughter. And as we pan out, we see two men meeting. Uh, it looks like on a on a riverbank, kind of, sort of, with, the, with concrete. And as they're meeting there, we see uh, the czar is talking to a gentleman. We then see that it, it, it is Colonel uh, Lukov. And as he's talking to him, we then see now... The plot coming together where, okay, this guy's in cahoots with the czars. And, of course, it then pans to Peter where Peter's down in the, or Peter, how they would probably say it. And he's down in the sewers. And he's, of course, looking at his holograms and playing with them. And then Batman goes down there, uh, tries to interact with him. And then we pan out going to the police precinct, okay? And, of course, they hear some information. 
And, of course, we see a panel with czars. They have no compunction about hurting the innocent. And, of course, he's holding like a uh, like a towel or napkin to his face trying to cover up a smell or something. And so we see Batman walking with Peter in the sewers. And then we see uh, Colonel Lukov's daughter trying to tell his mom, you know, I want to go out. But then lurking in some leaves or or bush, we then see the beast right there. And, of course, now he's watching. It looks like the daughter or the wife. So that's where it leads us off in to, being in to, to be continued. And that's the end of Batman Confidential, issue 33. is all of the comics. Woo! That was a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's jump into a review wrap-up for all of these comics. Oh, my God. Okay. So, the first comic on our list was the Batman Winding Gear. Of course, Kevin Smith returned to Batman. Uh, I like Kevin Smith's writing. I, I've been a fan of Kevin Smith, and I like how he adds a lot of detail in there, and it gives you a nice look in the beginning of the story in, in retrospect of the old Batman and Robin, the way they were. And, of course, leading into now, it, the, his story, I, I like how his stories, for some reason, to me, in a way, this was kind of, eh, you know, I like how he introduces his villains. It didn't feel like, to me, like it didn't pick up till towards the end. So I can't say that I fully love the story like I normally would a, a Kevin Smith story, but um, I, I, his story just didn't hit me off right off the bat uh walter flanagan i i'm really not a fan of his artwork but there's a word in here that i think that's underlined that kevin smith walter flanagan have loyalty to each other and that holds true with them i you know i respect that i can see that you know that's that's something great you know all good for Kevin Smith, I would like to see someone else pencil Kevin Smith's stories, but Walter Flanagan is his boy, and that's his boy. Stick with them, you know, by all means. But at the same time, I can't say I was a real. This was a real big hit right out the bat, but it's okay. And being okay, I would say in the the Batman universe, how we judge okay is maybe about two and a half batterings. So I'm gonna give it about two and a half batterings. Okay, and for another review for that specific comic, make sure you check out the blog f- the blog for all kinds of reviews, but specifically for Batman the Widening Gear number one, Z-Factor reviewed it and gave it a two out of five batterings. Wow, cool. Same thing. All right, so Batman and Robin number three. This was a good conclusion to the current story arc. Frank Quietly's art was good. I think the one thing that I... The, that I can mention that I might have had a problem with was the fact that every time Robin punches somebody in the face, it looks like he breaks their nose instantaneously and their face is covered with blood. But that's a very minor thing. Um, it was a good conclusion to the story. Um, I guess somebody they built up as much as they built up uh, Professor Pig and then they just kind of let it, let it end the way it did. It just didn't seem like it ended, it seemed like they could have built that, or they didn't have to build up the character as much as they did for the way he was ended up taking out, which was just one of the people who captures him 
ends up trying to burn him, and then he gets punched in the face. So, overall, good book, good conclusion to the story. I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 batterings. Now, on the blog, Tigger Brown reviewed it and gave it 5 out of 5 batterings. Nice. All right, Batman 690, which has definitely been a favorite book for all of us here at the website for a long time now. Uh, liar! Yeah. <laughs> liar! Uh, well, I like Mark Bagley on Spider-Man. Batman, his Two-Face, I just don't know. If you look at his Two-Face and look at the scarred side of his face, it just it seems off. And the whole thing about... I'm going to get someone to magically transport me to the origin of this battering. What if it sent him to China in a factory or something? Or, hey, if he really wanted to do that, how come he didn't do this years ago? Just, I don't know. And if he was poking around in the Batcave, why didn't he just look at something that would uncover just too many questions instead of entertaining? I did like that last page and kind of the reveal. I thought that that was, you know, kind of awesome and getting you excited for the next issue, even though when you get all down to it, it is kind of ridiculous. And, of course, online, all the fans were saying, yeah, Two-Face is representing us when he's saying, where's the real Batman? Because Dick Grayson's just a poser. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to, I'm Batman. Liar! I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but... Two out of five batterings. Alright, so Gotham City Sirens number three. Um, honestly, completely blindsided. It was solicited as Paul Dini was writing the book, and then we get somebody who isn't Paul Dini writing the book. What in the heck was that? Not to mention, not only did it not have anything to do with the following, or the, the story that was, or the prior story, I mean, what was the, what was the whole point of Hush kidnaps uh, Harley, and then we don't follow that up? I get if Paul Dini's story, if that's Paul Dini's story, fine. But at least DC give us a solicitation that correctly says who's going to be written, writing it. Um, it really just felt like one of those wonderful fill-in issues where they were trying to make Edward Nigma a little bit more of an char- important character than he has been recently. And it didn't really need to be like that, in all honesty. Um... I didn't really need to see Edward Nigma hook up with some chick who wears no clothes at the end. I definitely did not need to see a bunch of um, thought bubbles with Batman and Edward Nigma saying that they're the better man. Uh, as as Josh likes to put it, uh, just whip out a ruler already. Um, but yeah, uh, not so great. I give it one out of five batterings. Suave Star also gave it one out of five batterings on the blog. Wow. Well, Red Robin number four. Once again, my main complaint, and this may surprise all of you, is gasp. Can we get a consistent narrative so far? We're on the fourth issue. Come on. Seriously, Chris Yost. That would make things a lot easier. And like I said, it's become such a cliche at this point for somebody to show up and say, Tim, what you're doing is wrong. No, it isn't. I hate you. I do find it funny that uh, he actually called a therapist for Tim. And a lot of people were saying, well, that's out of character for Nightwing. But actually, I'll try and remember the post. It says a bat scan of the day. Dick Grayson in the 80s actually saw a therapist and told the therapist his true identity and everything to talk about his daddy issues with Bruce and 
that would that would be a cool callback to continuity if it was the same therapist, but I doubt that anybody even remembers that story, including the person who wrote it. But, you know, okay, so I joked around on the Colin show, Tim's going to find out, you know, that Bruce is alive because he's going to see the writing on the wall. Wow. It's kind of um what they used. Now, I don't know how a bat drawing on the wall equals Bruce is alive, though, because anyone could draw a bat, but... Again, it's the fourth issue. We're still not getting answers. Um, I am still enjoying some of the little side stuff, like Lucius Fox's daughter and the little callbacks like Alvin Draper. And it was kind of funny telling, uh, having him tell Dick, yeah, don't let Damien ruin our legacy as Robin. So I'm not going to completely give this too many uh, bad batterings. I'm going to say three out of five. And but very Suave, cautiously. Yeah. And Suave Star also gave it three out of five batterings on the blog. Wow. Alright, so Batman and Robin number four. Um, Tigger Brown put it a very interesting way when he reviewed it, and his opening line for his review was Don't fix if it ain't don't fix it if it ain't broke. Change for the sake of change is never a good thing. Um, I gotta say, Philip Tan, great artist. But the entire tone of the book has changed now that he's on the book. Um, I get what they're trying to do, bring in a new artist every three issues. That's great. Philip Tan does great art. But the, now the, 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 the feel of the book has actually changed. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing as far as it's, it's Philip Tan's fault. But I think Grant Morrison's writing has changed a little bit too. Um, the introduction of the Red Hood is cool. Um, I mean, we're all being led to believe that it's Jason Todd. If it's not, I'd love to know who it is. Uh, they kind of throw in that odd character in there about Oberon Sexton or the AKA the Grave Digger. Um, that might be just thrown in there to throw us off, and I think that's really why it's there. If you know anything about Oberon Sexton, and where that character actually originates from in literature, you'll understand that it's a good chance that it's a red herring. And I loved the fact that when Tigger Brown interviewed it on the website, he picked up on that like instantaneously. So if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go over to the blog and read his review, so that way you understand what I'm talking about. But overall, I mean, not a bad issue. It's just... It's kind of disappointing in a way where the tone of the book has changed. So it's, I mean, it goes from being the best book out there, Batman-wise, to, in my opinion, the week that this came out, and so far this month, it's only the second greatest book. And I'll get to the best book later on. But uh, overall, I'd say three and a half batterings out of five. Tigger Brown gave it four out of five. All right, Batgirl issue two. I'm still enjoying this series. Um, I don't think that it was as strong as the first issue. My main complaint is still Barbara Gordon just basically acting vindictive, and she even acknowledges. She's like, wow, I'm being too mean on staff. This must be a problem with me. Now, instead of apologizing or whatever, it's like, I'm going to tell your mommy on you, which <laughs> – come on. This is 
this is Oracle. She was in the Justice League, people. Can we, you know, write her like a decent human being? I mean, I'm really tired of this angsty, angry Oracle. And people are like, well, you know, she's crippled. That's how she's supposed to act. Well, no, because for years, Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone wrote her as a very, very competent person. And the whole thing with the memorial cases, that was kind of cool. Um, I did like the whole Stephanie in college and they're kind of trying to develop a supporting cast and having her do college things. And that's the type of stuff I want to see. And that's what I liked about the early uh, Robin issues and everything, the Tim Drake stuff. And even the early Spider-Man stuff, you know, you'd have Peter Parker fight the lizard, then go to school. Same thing with Robin. And right now, Stephanie is one of the more down to earth characters in the Batman verse. Cause Tim's just hopping around the world and, Stephanie seems to be the only one who has a normal life, so I like that they're balancing that. I'm loving the art. I'm a little grossed out that Stephanie doesn't wash her costume, but I'm going – yeah. Yeah, especially since she's been fine with that thing. For That thing's got to sweat. Okay, well, four out of five batterings, though. Oh, I'm, I'm, cool. This is probably my favorite of the new Batman series, truth be told. Okay. Well, um, Detective Comics 856 featuring Batwoman. Uh, Gret Rucka, man, this guy can write cocaine, can he? Uh, I like the interaction where she was herself out of, outside the costume because it gives you more, I guess, face-to-face time with cocaine rather than being in the superhero costume. Uh, I like how Greg Rucka writes cocaine. Um, but Honestly, J.H. Williams the third's artwork in this book is freaking amazing. I I know uh, when we had interviewed and just I mean the, the guy just has a certain style to him, and I think within this issue, I mean he, he does a, a, a I mean it's an outstanding job. It's just an outstanding job. I love the artwork. Uh, I love Greg Rucker's story. But for some reason, for me, it was – I don't know why, but it felt just too short. I know I shared another story with the, the second feature about the question. But um, I, I, honestly, I, it left me wanting more. I like this new character, uh, Alice. I want, I want to see where it goes. I, I'm envisioning of where, they, where it can go. But I think Greg Rucker just left me wanting more. Um, I like it. I, I recommend it for fans to read. It's short. I don't know if it's worth um, – the 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 three ninety nine price tag because of you know not so much content that was in there but I thought it was a very great story the art is freaking amazing I liked it um, I'm gonna have to give it about four and a half about no not four and a half excuse me I'm gonna have to give it about four batterings out of five can I throw in a comment about uh, that issue yeah yeah well first of all um, we also had the return of the original Batgirl in there Betty Kane. Betty Kane, yeah. Which was kind of cool. And um, it also, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it kind of wrapped up a little continuity error because this person is her cousin. But we've had Betty Kane in the past talking about her rich Aunt Kathy in the new era. But we find out that um, Kate's stepdad is also named Catherine. So that would technically be Betty's Aunt Kathy. So I did like how that kind of fixed that problem. A problem I did have with the issue is when Batwoman first came out, remember how everyone was making a big deal about how she was a lesbian? They said that mm. she was a lipstick lesbian, a lesbian who was in the closet and who was very, very feminine. Now, mm-hmm. unless there was a Batwoman story that changed a lot that I didn't know about, this is completely 
kicking that characterization in the butt that they uh, established back in 52 and everything where she was all feminine. She didn't want anyone to know about, you know, that she was a lesbian and she didn't want Renee Montoya to tell anybody here. She's just like, yeah, I'm wearing a man suit. What about it? <laughs> and, and like in the interviews and everything, it was like, well, she's a lit like, and I can't, I can't believe that. Like my complaint is she's not the right type of lesbian. It's like DC hears lesbian and they're like, okay, well, this is how lesbians act. So <laughs> this is what they do. <laughs> they wear tuxedos. They wear tuxedos to shock their family members. Yeah, but well, what did you think about it? Did you like it? I wouldn't have minded it if they hadn't gone out of their way to say that you know she's a lipstick lesbian and you know this is how she, I mean. Had it not been for that, I probably wouldn't have cared. <laughs> Alright, so Batman Streets of Gotham number four. Now, this is the book that I have to say was the book of... that that is the book of the month so far. We've got a couple weeks left of releases for this month, but honestly, so far, this is the book of the month. This is what we should have been expecting. This is what we expected from Paul Dini from issue number one, but it took three issues to get there. Issue number four is classic Paul Dini writing. The only thing that was like a kind of a minus was the very beginning with the um, creeper part that was kind of odd. Um, that could have been changed a little bit to flow a little bit better. But the entire story about the broker and the history of Gotham and the reason why there's so many crazy named places in Gotham, classic Paul Dini. Um, I'm interested to see where the Victor's Oz angle goes. I'm glad that even though this is a Victor's Oz story right now, we are concentrating on other characters besides just Victor's Oz. Because that's what Streets of Gotham was told to us was going to be. So, this was an excellent book. I enjoyed reading this, and when I was done, I was just completely floored at the surprise that I received from the fact that it was not something I expected at all. Um, five out of five batterings. Tigger Brown agrees. Five out of five. I would agree, too. I, I really like this story. Outsiders 22. Um, you got a great team going here. Keep it up. Peter Tomasi. Great writing. Fernando Pacerin, I want to say. Pacerin. Well, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't get your name right, bud. But loving your arts. <laughs> And these are just, you know, really simple stories, you know, nothing too elaborate, nothing too, even though it's involved with the whole reborn crossover with the Arkham Inmates Escape. And it's just a simple hero versus villain story done in one part instead of dragged out for six issues. Well, to clarify again, technically it is like, but each of these parts of the story stands, stands alone. Which is great, and they made Clayface into a believable threat. I love that, and I love the fact that they're having the outsiders split up for this arc because it kind of plays off of their relationship with each other, and you get to see, um, you know, certain characteristics of each of them. Thought that was kind of funny, Clayface kidnapping the kids because they wouldn't stop throwing baseballs at him and saying, "You give my daddy back." But I am going to say five out of five batterings. Um, this book is solid, and I hope that they don't change anything with it. Cool. Okay, and for our last book, it's going to be Batman Confidential 33. Uh, as fans know, I love this series. I loved it. Um, but I do have to be honest. At the beginning of this story arc, when they said that it was going to be five parts, 
I automatically thought, dang, man, there's going to be a slow issue in between somewhere around there. It happened in the long Halloween also. It was just a slow part in between. Um, unfortunately, I think this was the issue, with the slow part that was in between. Uh, I love I, I love Peter Milligan's uh, uh, style of writing. Um, I, I thought it was very good in the in the first two parts of this story arc. However, in this one, it, it was just very kind of flat and it it kind of left off like mm, you know it, it just didn't it didn't it didn't affect me like his other two stories did now um andy clark being the artist he's very consistent uh his style is just consistent you know who someone is it will never change uh i think that's kudos to to that gentleman saying that not a lot of people will like that kind of artwork um but i have to say a shout out to jock jock is the the cover artist on this and dc i mean come on guys get this guy drawing an issue somewhere i mean the guy does a very good covers they're, they're freaking awesome too but um at the same time to the book to the story i thought the story was very flat within the story being very flat you can't make up for it with the uh, with our work uh, only jim lee can probably do that as we know from all-star batman robin uh you can't pick up the book like that um the story has to be on point and unfortunately this story was the flat side of it um i love confidential i, I love reading confidential i look very forward to it unfortunately for this one it was very flat and Unfortunately, I do have to give it only two and a half batterings. Um, it hurts because I'm a big fan of the Confidential series. But at the same time, I have to be truthful. This was the, hopefully, I will say the slow part of this five-part story arc. And this this is the third one. So, yep, two and a half batterings. Okay, and the Cape Crusader gave it three out of five batterings on the blog. So remember, uh, check out all of the reviews if you don't want to hear just our reviews, make sure you're checking out the website and going over the editorial section and looking at all of the reviews. There's always reviews posted by all of our awesome comic book reviewers. And we thank you guys for sending in your reviews. Anybody else out there who would love to review some of the books that we didn't have anybody review for, specifically um, Detective Comics or Outsiders, make sure you send those in because we'd love to have you guys review those also Gotham City Sirens will be another one and Batman is another one as well so if you have a different take on what you've heard and you want to review something that's already been reviewed we are all about making sure that all all the voices are heard so make sure you email those in um, that is going to be all the comic reviews as you can see we're now sitting at well over an hour so there's not going to be a discussion this episode, so let's jump right into Bat Books for Beginners. Let's throw it over to Nick. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, Nick, and today I'm looking at the book The Ring, The Arrow, and The Bat. This is a trade paperback that was published in 2003, collecting Legends of the DC Universe, issues 7, 8, and 9, and Legends of the Dark Knight, issues 127 through to 131. Now, the three characters in this book are Green Arrow, Green Lantern, and Batman. 
I don't think they're all there together. The three characters don't all meet together, but the book is broken into rather like a prologue with Green Arrow and Green Lantern, that then leads into a larger story with Green Arrow and Batman. So it's really a Green Arrow book. The writer is Dennis O'Neill, and the art is provided by Greg Land and Dick Giordano. So let's see how these heroes first met. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Now in the prologue, Green Arrow is captured by some rebels in a country called Minglia, a southeastern Asian country. Whilst there, he recuperates from some bad injuries from a plane crash and begins to appreciate the rebels' way of life. And he befriends a missionary nun amongst the rebels. In an attack from the nation's sinister army, led by General Zhou, the rebels' village is destroyed, and the nun is also killed when she steps on a landmine, which was actually produced by Queen Industries the company that Oliver Queen, i.e. Green Arrow, used to own. The Hal Jordan version of Green Lantern is working for the Asian country's government, and he is involved in the attack, and he meets Green Arrow for the first time there. The story then continues with peace talks taking place between a monk that has been sent by America and the army's general. Green Lantern and Green Arrow oversee these talks, but the monk is assassinated by General Zhou, Upon realising this, and realising that there's no way of rectifying the situation, Green Lantern decides to embarrass General Zhou in front of his people by removing his clothes, flying him around the town square naked, causing the entire population to laugh at him, using his ring. Meaning people won't fear or respect him anymore, and Oliver Queen and Hal Jordan start their friendship there. Then we move into the main story, which involves Batman and Green Arrow. Oliver Queen is now in Gotham and is becoming disgusted with street life and its effect on people. He also mentions the previous story and his landmine that killed the most decent person he'd known, the nun. He retreats to the mountains to get away from it all but is almost assassinated. He doesn't get any answers from the assassin and returns to a hotel room in Gotham where a private investigator waits for him. This guy bolts out the door, but is caught by Oliver Queen. In the private investigator's wallet is a business card belonging to Bruce Wayne. Queen goes to meet Bruce Wayne, who innocently claims that the private investigator was hired to find Queen for some sort of business transaction. Queen yells at him a lot and decides to leave. That night, Batman appears to Queen. More men start to arrive at Queen's hotel while they're talking to kill Queen, but Batman and Queen take them down. The two meet on a rooftop later on and discuss a deal that took place between Wayne Enterprises and Queen's company, involving the sale of a highly toxic defoliant. Through some detection, the trail leads to the country of Dubar and to General Zhou, who is looking to gain revenge after he was humiliated by Green Arrow. General Zhou has been trying to kill Queen, and after reporting his failure to his boss, known only as the advisor he is miraculously killed by a falling safe the boss hires a new mercenary called master haim master haim involves a guy called sag who looks like a medieval archer and appears to have better skill at archery than queen sag confronts queen by a lake and allows queen the first shot 
Sag, however, proves that he's a better archer, and thanks to some help from Batman, Queen does escape with his life. But Queen suddenly loses his skill, and his shots instantly become awful. Alfred suggests to Bruce that he has lost his confidence after confronting a better archer. Sag returns to Haim and promises him Queen will die. Queen is starting to become paranoid, and Batman asks him to lie low. He does so. However, after a while, Queen is fed up of waiting and being scared, so he flies to Dubar to confront Haim, Sag, and the advisor. Queen is imprisoned. Because of the religion that Mars de Haim operates under, Queen is imprisoned rather than killed. Batman goes to fight him and aid him. They escape from the prison and prevent the young prince of the country from being framed and murdered. Batman defeats Master Haim, who is shocked he knows how to prevent the Cobra Deathstrike. And Queen makes a really good shot, showing he has gained his skill back. The advisor is taken away, and Batman and Green Arrow begin a solid alliance. What do you think is faster, an arrow or a bullet? There's only one way to find out. Now I'm going to be reviewing these two stories as one large story rather than two separate ones. I generally enjoyed the book. I found it very refreshing to have other heroes involved heavily in the book. Although there wasn't much of Green Lantern, I really got to grips with Oliver Queen's character, and I thought he was very interesting. I haven't read any Green Arrow stories before, and I felt that him and Batman complemented each other very well, and I thought they worked excellently together as characters. The story was okay, pretty average. There are a few convenient moments where Master Haim's religion provided plot devices like not killing Queen, when that was what he was hired to do in the first place, I never really understood that. The villains also were pretty average, and I would have liked to have seen more of Sag, who I think could have been an interesting rival in the book with Green Arrow, and should have played a larger role, I think. The Green Lantern part was okay, but I felt Hal Jordan was pretty dull in this book. Green Lantern has never been a very interesting character for me, and I was looking forward to finding out more about him in this book, but there was very little of him, and I have to say, all that cosmic space stuff doesn't really do it for me as much as a detective in a cape or a man with a bow and arrow, but I wanted to give him a fair chance, and I was let down a little bit by Green Lantern in this book. I would like to read a bit more of his stuff just to get to know him as the character a bit better, because he's very popular at the moment. Some of the writing is a little dated, and the villains come off as a bit cheesy, and they look like they're from the 80s. Which can put people off, who are used to the top-quality Batman books I've reviewed so far. The detective work was there in the book, and the Playboy Bruce Wayne moments were interesting as well, they made me smile. Vicky Vale was in the book, but she felt like she was just stuffed in there, just to ensure there was some sort of female character, and didn't really add anything. I enjoyed Oliver Queen's motivation about his company. It seemed very Tony Stark-esque, but rather than change his company like Tony Stark does in Iron Man, he just disowned his company. And he was also unsure about whether to continue his role as Green Arrow. But I did find Oliver Queen became a bit annoying at times, and he's very obnoxious and sarcastic all the time, and it did get a little frustrating for me. I also felt there was a problem that there were a few too many characters, and even with five issues uh, regarding the Batman story, there wasn't enough time to make them all interesting, especially the advisor, the big villain. I would have liked Sag to be the villain throughout. That's the way I would have gone, because I think you could explore that a lot more and have the two archers competing with each other. I think that would have been the direction I would go in. 
The art was quite interesting, looked a little bit cartoonish, but not too much. Certainly a little different from what I've seen recently, and I felt it was nice to see Green Arrow out of his suit a lot, which helped me get to know Oliver Queen a lot better than Green Arrow. So that was nice to see. But all in all, it's an enjoyable book, but nothing too special. If you're new to Green Arrow, this is a good one to get to know that character quickly and move on into a story with him. And I hope to see more of Batman and Green Arrow together in the future, but not too many. So for me, it's three out of five Batarangs. What is this now, the fifth or sixth death trap I've been tied up to because of you over the years? Yeah, I said I was sorry. So that's been Bat Books for Beginners for this time. You can always pop on the forums if you want to leave a comment about a particular book or the segment in general. I'm also at the moment leaving posts on the blog which have got the old Bat Books for Beginners segments on there. So if you are new to this or you'd like to catch up or if you'd like to revisit an old book, Batman Year One, Long Halloween... I've done about 20 of these so far, so there's plenty to work through if you missed a couple. You can go back on the blogs, and I'll be posting one up every week until I catch up. So that's really just for you guys, just in case you're a bit behind, or you'd like to revisit something. It's all there for you if you need it. The book I'll be reviewing next time is Catwoman Defiant by Peter Milligan. And this story has Catwoman and Batman teaming up to find Mr. Handsome, a gangster who purchases beautiful things only to destroy them. We've had some interesting Catwoman books so far, one slightly weak one and one pretty good one, so it'll be interesting to see how this one fares. But anyway, that's Bat Books for Beginners done. Now it's back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Green Arrow's juvenile need to compete never ceases to amaze me. Well, Bats, I guess you beat me. Yeah, right. This is never going to end, is it? I certainly hope not. Alright, so that's Bat Book for Beginners. Let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. We have, on September 30th, we have Batman the Black Glove, Batman the Brave and the Bold, number 9, Batman Widening Gear, number 2, Gotham City Sirens, number 4, Superman Batman, volume 1, Public Enemies. On October 7th, we have Batman and Robin, number 5, Batman Annual, number 27, Batman Confidential, number 34, Batman the Killing Joke, new printing, and Batman the Unseen, number 1. As for what we will be covering next time on the podcast, we will be covering Detective Comics, number 857, Superman Batman, number 64, Batman the Widening Gear, number 2, and Gotham City Sirens, number 4. So only four comics for next episode. Um, also, we've decided we will be permanently holding off on covering Batman Brave and the Bold just because we don't think that there's really a need to cover it anymore. Uh, we did get some good responses from fans about the kid reviews, but it's a, it's kind of a hassle to try to get it done, and we didn't really get the response we were looking for. So I don't think anybody will be complaining. If there is someone complaining, send us po- uh, comic podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net to send your complaints about us taking off Batman the Brave and the Bold. Kid complaints. Yeah. <laughs> You're a poopy head for taking off my favorite segment. <laughs> Alright, so that is everything for this episode. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can join the forums, get involved with other Batman fans, talk to them, discuss different things about the comics and many other things. Check out the editorials for all kinds of comic book reviews and other editorial uh, uh, articles that we write. 
Also, check out every Wednesday morning for New Comics Today, a segment that I write personally telling you what I believe you should be picking up, what you should be reading, and what you should be just passing on as far as the Batman comics. As well as every once in a while I include some other comics if it's a short, small week for Batman comics. Check out the website for daily news, and leave us some reviews on iTunes, and email us, comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or suggestions of things you'd like us to talk about. I think that is everything, so this is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode 28. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Goo goo goojoob. Skepticism. Skepticism. I love people's skepticism. So, who wants to read for Dan DiDio? Sure. I can't do your ha-ha-ha's as well. That's right, yeah, then just do the Newsarama then. You do Newsarama. I'll do the ha-ha-ha's. You know that guy who, like, yelled out liar in the middle of the Obama's... Uh, oh, dude! <laughs> Imagine somebody doing that to Dan. I had no idea liar. about Terry McLiar! Okay, so here's the Dan DiDio questions from September 14th. Nick will read for... I'm not Nick. Nick. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. All right, so here are the Dan DiDio questions from September 14th. Savannah will read Dark Knight's uh, questions. Okay, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Liar. (laughs) You can't laugh. You have to continue. (laughs) The whole point is it's supposed to be like, uh, wait, what just happened? It It took me off guard. Okay. All right. And what ends up happening is Robin and Batman end up driving towards um, where, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Villain hero or? It's a villain. It's the, it was like the main henchman of Black Glove. Dr. Hurt? Dr. Oh, not, doc, not Dr. Oh, Leboos. Oh, Leboos. Yeah. Yatta! I don't want to know. Anyway, the... Uh, Hiro Nakamura. I did yeah, it. <laughs> you should know. <laughs> I got that. Um, You're never going to sleep well at night, Josh, are you? I'm never going to sleep well. <laughs> You're like, why did he do this? Why? Why? <laughs> His mind races so fast that he eventually falls asleep. He goes, I know. And he then goes I dream asleep. about and he wakes up like that, too. He wakes up, up like that, too. <laughs> I, w- I wake up screaming. There's too many first meanings between the Joker and Batman. <laughs> Gordon knows who Barbara is, and Barbara is back. Goo 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 What the hell was that? What's the, this is the first. The, at the, I am the walrus. Goo 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 This is oh the first podcast God. since the Beatles God. stuff came out. I gotta I gotta give a shout out to for the Beatles.